This week on Missions Today. We really describe ourselves as resource partners for Kingdom Impact. We work with and fund uh, organizations operating across Africa and into the Middle East. So we look at three regions at Mergon, broad regions. The first is South Africa, the second is um, Sub-Sahara Africa, and then the last is the MENA region. And we have different strategies for each of these regions. So we have a particular strategy and focus for what we want to accomplish by partnering with ministries in South Africa and similar in the other two regions. And so I guess what we're all about at Mergon is saying we want to be the best partners for the ministries on the ground that we could possibly be. That is the mission of the Mergon Group in South Africa, where our guest this week works to build successful businesses that can help fund ongoing kingdom work. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Peter Fora was born in segregated South Africa, then relocated with his family to a more racially integrated area of the continent, which ultimately formed in him a desire to love and serve his homeland and its people, all of its people. Peter is the CEO of the Murgon Group, and he spends most of his time reinforcing his company's values, humility, stewardship, courage, and partnership. And he does that in an effort to fund business and industry that will further the work of Christ in Africa and beyond. Peter, welcome to Missions Today. Good afternoon from South Africa. Great to have you with us today. Let's talk a bit about your story as we begin. Tell us about your growing up years. I grew up in an interesting era in South Africa. It was sort of the latter part of apartheid South Africa where we had very intense segregation, uh, racial segregation. And I grew up as the son of an officer in the military. And so we experienced uh, the real interesting dynamics of my father being a civil servant in that government at the time. But what really, I guess, um, put a different slant on my upbringing was when my dad was asked to relocate to one of the homeland countries we had within the borders of South Africa and um, run a military base in a little state called Venda, which was really a, a homeland of the then South African government, which was governed by a black leadership uh, in the country at that stage. And so we grew up in this community, which was really a very much a cross-racial community with mostly living in a community of black Africans and just a handful of white South Africans. And that really shifted my understanding of the country in which we're living in, where we used to grow up initially very segregated. I had the privilege to spend a big part of my upbringing in a multiracial environment where it just opened my eyes to to the people around me, I guess, in a very different way. Before we move past that, I want to go back just a moment what did you think or do you remember as you look back as a child in that first portion of your story you just described when you were uh, more in an area that was predominantly white and the segregation was very strong? Do, do you have thoughts about those days and, and how did that modify as you moved into this new area? I guess my, the early stage of my life, I didn't really realize what, I mean, for me, that was normal. The segregation was very much normal. And I'm so thankful, I guess, to my dad for having taken that opportunity and the way in which he approached it. He taught us from, as we moved to this uh, region called Venda, my dad was very specific to us about saying, we respect all people, 
regardless of race or color or whatever. And my dad was actually quite intentional in breaking down in, uh, some of those barriers that existed. For example, in South Africa at that stage, you had segregated bathrooms, you had segregated eating areas. And my dad just said, we are not going to do any of that. Uh, he, he had the opportunity to shape a new culture in that environment. And so I grew up in an environment where there was real equality. And so I guess coming back to South Africa when I was sort of 14 years old, then it really struck me that actually, you know, coming from that environment back into the segregated South Africa in the late 80s, it really struck me how significant the difference is and how that is impacting on, on the society. It felt like that we live in this artificial society, um, uh, which, um, which started to obviously unravel towards the late 80s with, um, at the same time as the fall of the Berlin Wall, the fall of communism. Um, we started seeing those things unravel in South Africa as well. As you moved back at that age of 14 to this more segregated society, was that difficult on you after having such, it sounds like, positive experiences in this blended culture? You know what? I wouldn't say it was difficult, but I guess it was noticeable. And um, as a young man growing up in South Africa at that stage, there was such a high level of indoctrination, such such little media. but. I think the, the thing that stuck with me is just the awareness that we respect everyone no matter what and that we, that we need each other to, to make a life. And so it was really, it felt like when apartheid started crumbling, it just felt like this was right. It was the right thing. It was the right time. And it was like the, the right order was being established, reestablished in our country um, in a way, I guess, that it had never been allowed to to flourish. Talk for a moment about your Christian faith. When were you first exposed to Christianity, and when did it begin to impact your life? Well, in South Africa in the 80s, uh, being an Afrikaner was synonymous with being a Christian. You, uh, you almost thought you were born a Christian. Um, you know, we were conservative Christians, but your church, your politics, and uh, I guess the communities that you grow up in shape people tremendously. And um, you were identified uh, along those lines. And so I grew up in a very typical conservative Christian household. Uh, we didn't speak about our faith much, but I can remember having a hunger for the word. I remember my parents giving me a story Bible and reading of the stories of David and of, you know, some of the great eras of the faith and how that really gripped me. And, um, and so I guess God was drawing me to him uh, through my early years. And then when I was 13, I remember getting invited to a small group pitched up there with just one other person and feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And uh, the pastor at that stage did something that was quite unusual for the denomination in which we were. And he asked me whether I had ever given my life to Christ. And I found it sort of a strange concept and started chatting to him a bit more. And I said, well, I haven't. And there he led me in prayer um, to give my life to Christ. And and from there, it's, you know, I, I've had a, the amazing privilege to journey with Jesus through my life. And him drawing me deeper and deeper into a fellowship with him over the years. And ultimately, I guess, sort of a second moment of commitment was in my mid-20s when I was baptized, almost feeling like this is okay. God is journeying with me and he's got plans for my life and I just need to um, 
need to go with it. In those uh, middle school, high school days leading into college, uh, were you thinking about a career? Were there things that you wanted to do as part of your career? Did you have a plan? You know, I was quite an argumentative young man in my um, high school years. And so if you have that tendency, your parents invariably told you you need to become a lawyer. And so I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And I guess if I think about my career plans, it was all about building a stable career choosing a safe path, making sure you get a good education and you climb the corporate ladder somewhere at a law firm or something like that until you get to a place of being a partner. And it was sort of a corporate ladder, one track type of journey that I thought was laying ahead of me. And so that it's with that perspective that I went to law school and thought that was going to be how my career was going to pan out. Before we leave your childhood days, any influences, key influencers in your life uh, growing up as a child, as a young man, before you got off to college? I, I think my my household where I grew up, my mom and dad really believed in me, and um, and they sort of really believed that I could be successful at anything that I put my mind to. And I guess the second influence was uh, when I was in high school, my parents actually relocated for uh, for another stint to a different town, except this town was Paris in France. And so my dad joined the embassy there, and I ended up being at boarding school in South Africa but I had the privilege to come visit them in Europe. And so, again, that was a time of just incredible opening up of my perspectives coming from South Africa where, you know, you would walk down the aisle at the supermarket and there would be two flavors of yogurt and that would be all. And you walk into a supermarket in France and you see a hundred flavors, you know, um, just as a very simple way of, of illustrating that. Uh, talk a bit about your years after high school, moving into future training and uh, and career. What what did that path look like for you? As I mentioned a moment ago, ended up studying law. Very clear about the direction I wanted to go. Excited about uh, entering the law profession. And then, I guess, in an impulsive moment, I realized that if I just enter into this career path, it's going to be very difficult to find a gap somewhere because it just sort of sucks you into that momentum. And so I decided I was working in a bookshop in uh, in Pretoria in South Africa, and I took a book with a picture book, a coffee table book off one of the shelves with pictures of France and Italy. And I thought, you know what, I think I need to take a plunge and just step out of this career mode for a moment. And so I ended up doing what a lot of young South Africans did at that stage, which is a working holiday in the UK. Went over to the UK for a year and traveled and worked. And it was actually during that time in the UK that I started engaging. I started working for a couple of businesses, uh, more in finance. And so that started pulling me a little bit away from my one-track-minded view of becoming a lawyer. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I should start looking a bit wider. And and I came back after that year and I told my dad, dad, I'm going back to the UK for a second year. And he was not impressed. He thought, Peter, you, you know, enough of this playing now. You need to start getting serious about your life. Um, you know, you need to think about the career you want to be on. And so I decided, well, I am definitely going back. We were a little bit at odds uh, at that time. And the good thing is I went back there and I met my wife a couple of months later, my wife-to-be a couple of months later, and we started dating. And at the end of that year, that second year, I came back to South Africa 
we got married and um, and I realized I needed to find a job. And so ended up starting at as a very young consultant at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And that was sort of the first phase of my career done then. I was in my late 20s by the time I completed that. I had a couple of years of working in one of the um, divisions of Pricewaterhouse. And I was sort of thinking, you know what, I'm back on track. I can, you know, I can work this path to become a, a partner at, in this firm. There's a stable route laid out for me. But, you know, as God tends to do, he tends to come when we think we're most settled, he tends to come and surprise us with difficult questions that he puts on our heart. Talk for a moment about those, uh, I'll just call them, for lack of a better term, wandering years. You, you go off to the UK, you meet uh, your future wife, you come back, uh, you start a career at Price Waterhouse Coopers. Uh, was God teaching you anything during those times? Were you close to God during those times? What was your experience like? What do you remember about those times? I decided I was going to find a church and build some, build that as the anchor for my two years. Um, and so I joined All Souls Church in London for some time and also ended up for a season at Holy Trinity Brompton. And for me, that was such a, a place of safety that I could embrace what London was all about and what traveling was all about. But I knew I had an anchor to come back to, and that was uh, being rooted in a church. And also, it just stirred me to hold on to my faith during that time and, and surround myself with people who could also have fun, but who could actually also um, journey with me in a way that will build me and not sort of take me in the wrong direction. Tell us how God moved you to Murgon. Let's say after six years at PwC, um, as I mentioned, I was sort of always on this one career track uh, in my mind. And and I started feeling God ask me some uncomfortable questions. Um, uh, most predominantly, I felt this nagging question of, am I willing to create space for God to come and do the unexpected in my life? And I started um, asking some questions, uh, started meeting with friends and saying, hey, wh what, what do you do? What's interesting? Um, what is it like doing your own thing or being involved with something smaller? And, and as I started having these conversations, I felt specifically two things. I felt that I wanted to really get involved in something more entrepreneurial. And at that stage, we were really committed to our journey in God as a family. My wife and I, we had two young children at that stage. I said, I really want to be in a place where I can uh, do something meaningful. And today, I guess I definitely have a more integrated view that I can do meaningful things for God wherever he puts me. But at that stage, really felt like I wanted to be more involved in what was God was doing in church and and so on. And, and so... I started uh, meeting people, asking questions, following sort of the, the opportunities that people referred me to. And I met this gentleman by the name of Francho Fonica. I didn't know too much about him, but and he, wasn't, he wasn't on the internet anywhere in those days. Um, that was sort of the early 2000s. And um, I had a conversation with him. He had a couple of businesses and the CEO of one of the businesses phoned me and said, Peter, you know, we have potentially got an opportunity for you. And I found myself almost jumping through the phone saying, I don't care what it is. It sounds interesting. The only catch was it was a half day job. And I had at that stage been a manager at PwC, just been promoted with an increased salary. We just bought a house. My wife was going to stop working with the second pregnancy at that stage. 
And I said to her, listen, we need to pray about this because this can have significant implications for us as a family. And so we prayed about it. And I was so thankful. We came together and we both independently said, what do we feel? And and I said, you know what? I feel that even if we have to sell everything and go and live in a little apartment in town again, we need to do this. This is an opportunity that I just have a sense that God is in. And she felt the same and she said she's fully behind me and so let's do it. And that was how I ended up join, joining Francois Fenikerk and that was really a transformative moment in my life. Tell us a little bit about Mergon Group, what its focus is, what you're trying to do through the business that you're engaged in, and then we'll talk a bit about how it's impacting uh, reaching people. Let me maybe rewind a little step. So, Mergon, um, when I joined, Francois van Nikker had established this very successful technology and real estate business. But what was interesting about it was that uh, 70% of the shares in this business was owned by a not-for-profit organization called Mergon. And uh, I didn't know this before I joined, but when I got there and I started realizing this, I started being immediately um, interested in this this whole structure and setup. And I got to learn that Mergon was a trust that Francois had established, and the mission of this trust was Kingdom Impact. And the birth of this was actually in 1980, 25 years ago at that stage, and when Francois decided to walk away from his corporate career and start his own business. And after a few months, he was at a place where he had no more answers. He had run out of money. He had, didn't have en- enough clients to make the business sustainable. And he prayed a prayer of surrender. He said, God, I have got no more answers. I don't know which way to go. You need to open a door for me. And he walked from that prayer moment into a meeting and a door opened. A client decided to, to do business with Francois and that sort of saved the business um, from that moment on. And that was a catalyst moment. And Francois when he prayed that prayer, he made a commitment. He said, God, if you save this business, I will give 30% of this business to serve your kingdom. And Francois walked out of that meeting and he knew this was not his doing. This was God's answer to a prayer. And so he, he decided he needed to make good on this promise. And uh, he went and he set up this trust and he transferred 30% of this very almost bankrupt business into this trust. And over the years, this business grew. As I said, he moved into real estate and it became tremendously successful. And during that time, Francois continued to actually increase the shielding of this trust to the point where Francois had essentially given away 70% of the shares. And so when I joined Francois, it was really a transition time because Francois had established this balance sheet and he was confronted with this question, what does the future look like? Was he going to hold on to this investments and eventually just when he, you know, when he can't continue to manage it anymore, give it to some fund managers and the giving will then, you know, outsource the giving to someone? Or did God want him to actually continue to be entrepreneurial, to set up something for the next generation to continue to run with? And it was at that same stage where God was really sort of working in my heart around why did he bring me to join Francois and Mergon? Was it to just be in business, to just do my own thing? Or did he want me to really commit myself to stewarding something that he was already busy with? And 
those two perspectives at that time, I guess, both came together uh, in discussions in sort of 2007, late 2007, and we started conceptualizing what Mergon could look like. And we started thinking about putting a team in there. And that was really the second birth of Mergon was that time where we didn't quite know what we were doing, but we were saying, God, we're going to step out. We're going to start building something of an organization around this balance sheet. And what I have tremendous respect for Francois, if you think there was that first moment of surrender in 1980, we really at a heart, uh, from a heart perspective, surrendered when he had nothing. This was sort of a second surrender moment. We had significant capital. We had um, significant influence. And he said, I'm surrendering this control, ability to influence the future to a younger team to let them run with it, obviously still being involved. But I truly believe that that second surrender moment unlocked a next phase for Mergon. Talk for a moment uh, or maybe give an example of what you're supporting through the work of Mergon is impacting the kingdom. You said that was the focus. We want to impact the kingdom. That's part of the mission. How does that play itself out in real life? At Mergon, we essentially have two passions. The first is to see the message of the gospel go out and people being discipled into a relationship with Christ and becoming part of faith communities. And the second passion is to see culture redeemed through business and to see business leaders being raised up to recapture a right understanding of their marketplace calling. And so we're involved in these two fields. So from an, a giving perspective, Mergon, I would say we, we really describe ourselves as resource partners for kingdom impact. We work with and fund uh, organizations operating across Africa and into the Middle East. So we look at three regions at Mergon, uh, broad regions. The first is South Africa. The second is um, Sub-Sahara Africa. And then the last is the MENA region. And we have different strategies for each of these regions. So we have a particular strategy and focus for what we want to accomplish by partnering with ministries in South Africa and similar in the other two regions. And so I guess what we're all about at Mergon is saying we want to be the best partners for the ministries on the ground that we could possibly be. And so we support these ministries with funding, but also with leadership support, organizational development support, and just tying them into uh, relationship networks that we're part of. So that's from a funding perspective. And then from a, a mobilization perspective, we've established two initiatives, both aimed at equipping and uh, creating platforms where business people can become involved and learn from and be inspired by other business people who are committed to fulfilling their Christian walk in business and, and being business leaders that bring a full perspective of their calling into the business community. And so We've created this initiative called Zawani and Nation Builder, and the one focusing on, on bringing a right perspective on giving and social development and the other one on business leadership. And so through these initiatives, what makes Mergon a little bit different from, I guess, most organizations that we've uh, encountered over the years is that it's not just a foundation. It's also a active business. And by being active in the investment community, we're spreading the message of the kingdom in the business community. And by being active in the nonprofit community and in the ministry side, we're equipping and empowering the gospel to go out. And 
it's been amazing to experience the coming together of these worlds, uh, both in our office, yeah, um, in, in Stellenbosch in, in South Africa, where we've got pastors and accountants and MBAs all working together in one bigger team, but also as, as it goes out into the ministry side. Uh, finally, how can our listeners pray for you and your team and the work that you're doing there in uh, South Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and beyond? All your listeners will have encountered ministries in Africa and will have supported many ministries in Africa. And my sense is that there's a new generation rising up in Africa, a um, new generation of businessmen incredible ministry leaders rising up, leading ministries with such a sound theological perspective. And so I guess the prayer is just that God's ways and God's word will just pull over Africa to take us into the, into the future that God has for Africa. There's so much, so many challenges in Africa, corruption, traditional mindsets, all these challenges that wants to hold our continent back from reaching its full potential but it feels like god is actually wanting just to you know to come and flood his spirit over those things and so i guess the prayer really is that god would just come and do something that the world has never seen in our continent everything is there the technology is there the education is starting to come through the leadership is building i just have a heart for and just such a deep, deep desire that God will come and do something amazing in our generation and on our continent. Peter's heart is to serve and support the work of Christ in South Africa, across the continent and beyond. And that's just what he's doing today. You know, the thing I love is that Mergon is not just throwing money at the challenges, but they're working with businesses, organizations, and individuals by providing training, mentoring, and networking as well. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to talk with a man who was raised around people like Paul McCartney, Frank Sinatra, and The Who, who now spends most of his time supporting an effort to free slaves around the world. If you enjoyed the show today, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at clambertadmissionstoday.com. Follow us on Instagram at Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.